0: Everybody, it's Karen again from uh, Utah. We're still talking to a whole host of amazing guests and this interview is one you are not going to want to miss. We are today uh, talking about the Sound of Freedom movie, but we're also talking to some of the actors and actresses in the movie to learn more about why they got involved in this film and some of their other activities that they're out there doing that support fighting against sex trafficking and human trafficking mm. all over the globe. So Brandon, without further ado, would you like to introduce today's guest?
1: Yeah, so we're pleased to visit with Mira Sorvino, who is an Academy Award-winning actress, also stars in the film Sound of Freedom as Tim's wife, and as Karen mentioned, has been doing so much. So Mira, it's so great to visit with you today.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here with you.
1: So I'm curious, because there was a QA and a after the premiere last night where you talked about how... God's timing, really, I think I'll put it that way, really brought you into this film. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Um, Okay, well, first of all, I knew Tim Ballard for years because I've been a Goodwill Ambassador with the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime on human trafficking since 2009. So we sort of run in the same circles. Like, all the people who work on this theme start to get to know each other over the years, and I always respected him so much. And uh, we ran into Jim Caviezel, with whom I had worked on another film, and he had his hair kind of... Light, kind of you know, kind of golden blonde, and he said it was for a film, and he was playing this guy that rescues kids. And I was like, "Are you playing Tim Ballard?" Yes. (laughs) And then Tim called me, and he was like, "I want you to play my wife." And I was like, "Oh, I just ran into Jim." (laughs) And uh, you know, it's not a big part, and it's actually a smaller part than was originally in the script. Um, But uh, but the movie itself is so important because I think it's going to be a real heart wake up call to people when they watch this beautiful, inspiring story about these tremendous children who ultimately are rescued, but they represent the plight of two million children in sex trafficking today around the globe, and that they all need our help, and we all can't be sort of kind of inactive bystanders anymore. We actually have to stand up for them and get involved in the fight against modern slavery.
0: Absolutely.
1: One of the unspoken heroes of the film, I think, certainly is Tim's wife. So Mm -hmm. when you heard about her story. yeah. obviously, you know, Tim, but her story and her heroism for being just a, a champion in support of him and taking care of the family as he was off, like what went through your heart and mind?
0: Well,
2: I think, you know, when, when, when he basically said that she pushed him over the precipice, he wasn't sure that he could actually give up his, you know, solid job in law enforcement. And, really commit full-time to sort of, you know, free-falling into this situation where he didn't know how he would provide for his family, if he would survive it, whether he was going to be effective. And she was like, if you have the opportunity to help these children, if you think you can help them and you know what's going on with them, you know what they're suffering, how can you not? Like, we as a family are going to endure whatever sacrifices we need to make because how are we going to face our maker if we, we had this call and we turned away from it?
0: Right. You know, last night you gave a beautiful uh, story to the audience um, with your personal experience and the work that you do about meeting a young woman um, and just watching, you know, and kind of feeling the darkness had taken over her life and maybe there was no hope left. But then walk us through a little bit of that story. Share that with our listeners. It was beautiful. So in 2010,
2: um, my first trip to the United Nations was uh, on a Blue Heart campaign uh, mission to Mexico and Mexico City. And we were there, you know, trying to... uh, not only influence awareness but activate change. We were working with judges, we were working with legislation. And I asked if I could meet some survivors down there. And so they introduced me to this woman named Rosie Orozco who has, you know, runs a shelter and she's a a, you know, a political activist for human trafficking. And she brought me to this shelter that was full of all these girls and Mm. these little kids. And I was like, okay, these little kids must be like the sisters or, you know, whatever of these and, and I first met a girl who was seven, and she had been in a Cancun brothel for three years and had just been rescued, and she reminded me of my daughter. I looked mm-hmm. in her face and her innocent little eyes, and she was missing her front teeth, and she was showing me her math homework, mm-hmm. and then she was showing me dance moves she was taking in her dance class. And the idea that she had been forced to do things that she could only term incorrectos in this brothel for Cancun spring breakers, mm-hmm. like just... I, I saw my daughter's eyes and hers and I was like wow and I, and I didn't talk to her about what had happened but I knew what had happened to her and then I was interviewing older girls this one girl who was 16 and she was very tough and she wore this little cap and um, you know she was describing kind of without emotion all these things that she had undergone and later CNN Freedom had done a mini documentary on her and it was estimated that she had been raped 64,000 times over oh the ages of 12 to 16 mm. and one of the consequences of her exploitation was that she had born a child. And one day because of her insubordination or something she did to anger her her exploiter, her trafficker, he took an iron and branded her face and branded her baby's face. Mm. And that was when I realized that this little child running around behind her was her child. And at that point, this like single tear squeezed out of her eyes. Until then, she had seemed very, very angry and kind of, you know, just cut off. And I walked away from that interview like, oh my God, like, how do people actually ever recover from something like this? I walked away quite demoralized. I was like, that, though, some wounds may never heal. Like, how could she, how could she see that happen to her child? You know, how could she go through all this and be okay? Cut to, um, so, It was a year after, I think it was 2015, because in 2014, I gave a speech at the Vatican, representing the UN, at the second annual conference between the clergy and law enforcement to work on better fighting human trafficking together. And they asked me back the next year to be a witness when Pope Francis asked world religion leaders to come together for the first time ever to declare human trafficking a a crime against humanity. So you had, you know... uh, leader of the Russian Orthodox Church. You had Amma, the hugging saint of India with 10 million followers. You had the head of the Episcopal Church, Justin Welby, Archbishop Justin Welby. You had um, high rabbis from Argentina and this one and that one. and like All these different faiths represented and they were all coming together to say human trafficking is a crime against humanity. And so I was very honored to be invited just to be a witness to help spread awareness about it. And I was walking around in Rome the night before and I see rosie orozco and she says Mira, hello and i was like hi rosie and she's like you remember um carla and i look at this girl next to her and she's wearing this white coat and she's like smiling shyly and she's mm. pretty and and happy and i was like oh, that's the tough girl with the little daughter with the scar on the faces and that's her and and so we go inside, we have dinner together. She's laughing, she's positive, she's getting her degree, she's married. She also has another child now. And although like this trauma of the past is something she's going to have to work on overcoming her whole life, she's like a different person. Mm-hmm. She's like full of grace, right? And then I'm like, "What what are you doing here?" And she's like, "Tomorrow I'm reading the declaration for the whole world in spanish on cnn like i'm 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 the youth delegate to this and and i was like whoa and i was like stupid like how could you write anybody off how could you ever think that somebody's suffering could define them could destroy them like she showed me the strength of the human spirit Mm -hmm. and how a person can survive the unthinkable and become this, this flowering, strong, amazing person who now she's responsible for advocating for international Megan's Law, the passage of it. Like she she's this incredible person, this activist, this survivor leader, a mom, a powerful woman. And you know, she had the worst that you could ever imagine being done to her, done to her and her child. And so that really made me realize no one is a lost cause. And I think that's the problem sometimes with this topic. That people are like, oh, it's so dark. I, I can't, I can't, I, I, gosh, I feel so bad for those people, but you know, they're already gone, kind of thing. Mm. Like yeah. those 40 million people living in slavery around the world have no hope. It's already over for them, game over. It's only game over because we're not getting them out of it. Right. And they're all waiting for us to give them that hand up to the, provide them the resources, the services, the efforts to end the crime, effort to, and the, the the factors that create vulnerability to trafficking in the first place, you know in America, the foster care system has to be completely revamped. So much of our domestic yeah. minor sex yeah. trafficking is kids who are running away from the foster service or abuse in their own homes. Many people in America are trafficked by their own, it's not stranger danger, it's their own relatives or people that they know. You don't have to be trafficked across borders to be trafficked. You could be trafficked in your own bedroom. And that's something people think, it's like a misnomer because they think of goods crossing borders. You can be trafficked
0: across borders, you could be trafficked in your house. Well, yeah. what drives you? I mean, you have so much passion to this topic and fighting for these, these souls all over the globe. Like, what drives you to do this? Because this is hard and heavy work. I mean, I think, you know, God and
2: Jesus, like, you know, fight for justice, stand with the oppressed, you know, um, you know how, how important children are to God, to God and Jesus. Um, you know, I feel like it's the Holy Spirit acting in my heart, like, you know, use me. You know, a lot of times I'll pray before I walk on stage and I give a speech on trafficking or on sexual violence, which I'm also, you know, a member of the Me Too movement because I, myself, yes. like, that's the thing. Yes. Like, for years and years and years, I advocated for other people and I kept my own story, mm. you know, my own hurt to myself. And now I'm also active, you know, an activist for sexual violence. I mean, I, I always worked on violence against women, but I didn't declare that I was one of the member of the, yeah. the victim mm-hmm. class, you know, yeah. the survivor class. So, you know, but I, I have been inspired by the trafficking survivors that i have met to actually have the hope to heal from my own situation because yes. i have to tell you it was very very difficult when i came out publicly against harvey Weinstein. although i had told everyone i knew at the time that it happened mm. but nobody was like oh you've got a case or that's illegal oh he can't do that to you they were all like oh just try and you know grin and bear it and you know make nice and uh-huh. you know move along and mm. and um so when it was public and the whole world knew And then later I also came out with the fact that in a different circumstance I was also assaulted as a teenager and then I was also raped Mm. as a young woman. And like it was really hard for everyone to know what had happened to me and kind of pity me. And it was very hard to learn that Harvey Weinstein had destroyed my movie career for 20 years. Like, I didn't make a studio movie from 1998 to 2018, and I was an Oscar winner in 1996. And I was working with all the best directors and actors, and my career went like that after I turned him down for the third time. Um, so mm-hmm. this is neither here nor there, but but I went through a very dark period myself where I was I was really depressed because... I, You know, I'd been burying that trauma for a long time, and then when it was, like, open to the world, then I really had to deal with it. But I have to say, it's trafficking survivors that gave me that hope that I, too, could be my own phoenix, you know? Yes. I'm um, yeah. Sorry that I'm getting so emotional, but, no, like, don't they're my heroes. And I, I also want to encourage everyone who watches this movie or who's talking about this movie to try and access... What survivor leaders are saying about human trafficking and how best to, to fight it because, you know, nothing about them without them. Like, we shouldn't just be speaking for survivors. We should be giving them the podium because they best know what Amen. they need and yes. what the situation needs to be to be turned around. Yep. Um, so I've been talking to Angel Studios about maybe, like, we'll convene a panel of survivor leaders to talk, you know, about the subject and and really drive audiences to understand what they could do to change to change mm-hmm. the situation. Well,
1: we unfortunately have to wrap up our time together. But if you were going to leave our audience knowing, so Covenant Eyes, we fight against pornography. Pornography mm-hmm. has ties, of course, to human trafficking. Yeah. It's all sexual exploitation. What would you tell our listeners about trying to stop the demand for human trafficking through fighting things like pornography?
2: Both pornography and commercial sex create the market for horrendous exploitation and abuse of not only children, but adults. So many people in commercial sexual exploitation are in a relationship of force, and it is a kind of human trafficking. And with children, it's always human trafficking. Anybody under the age of 18 is legally incapable of consent, so therefore they are incapable of agreeing to their own sale, their own exploitation. Um, I really advocate for the adoption of the Nordic model, which is uh, a kind of decriminalization, partial decriminalization. It basically decriminalizes the person who is whose body is being sold, but then it's criminalization of both the John and the pimp. Mm. And if there is no pimp, the John can still be criminalized. And in countries where this has been adopted, rather than full decriminalization... Um, there is seen a market reduction in commercial sex, which then you are decreasing the marketplace for trafficked people, because the terminus of sex trafficking is commercial sex. So if you narrow or eliminate the marketplace, if you take away the demand, you no longer have a place for people to sell people. Because pimps would rather earn money off of people that they have to pay nothing to, that they're exploiting and forcing to work, rather than you know, just taking a little 10% off the top and running a legitimate kind of, you know, agent kind of business. Um, And in every country where they fully decriminalize, it's legitimized the pimps and they have brought in wholesale more traffic people rather than the other way around. People who want to buy other people, I feel, are already dehumanizing that person. I feel that to be a real man in today's world, once we know what we know about what goes on, is to lift up other people and not exploit them, not buy bodies, not rent out a person's body as though it was an object rather than a real human being who has real needs of relationality, of being in a mutually respectful relationship. And uh, I think that, you know, I'm sure we're on the same page that if people stopped buying sex, you would stop this abuse of trafficked people and especially trafficked children. And one of the things that we've talked about today in many of my interviews is how, you know, Sex addiction, which a lot of people who watch porn are in the throes of, um, you know, th- there are these pleasure centers or these dopamine receptors in the brain or, you know, emitters or, um, that they kind of stop working after a while. You know, yeah. it's it's like a heroin user who no longer gets high from the same amount of heroin and they, you know, go up and up. So people who are addicted to sexual experiences, whether it's online or in person, sometimes they need new and more extreme and more, we would call it, depraved experiences to still get that high in the brain. So they go for more violent either videos or in-person situations, um, and they will go for younger, younger exploited people. And Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that everyone who buys the bodies of children to exploit and hurt and rape are and all child sexual exploitation is rape. Um, They're not necessarily pedophiles to begin with. It's on the menu. And so if someone is addicted Mm. to this kind of experience, they want to try something new, something more extreme, something more depraved, something more out there. And going younger in age provides that new thrill. And the younger they go, the more sort of off it is and the more hitting that. So, so it's not necessarily that you've got this world of pedophiles. Some of them are just sex addicts who are like, that doesn't do it for me anymore. I need it to be more violent. I need it to be younger. I need it to be more extreme. I need it to be multiple people. I need to, I need there to be pain involved. And so you're seeing children as young as babies being hurt online. Like when, one of the amazing things that I wish that they had asked me yesterday in the after thing, but you know, if, if they had talked to me about what the one memory of Columbia was for me when we shot this movie, it wouldn't have been on set. It would have been when Tim Ballard took me to see the juvenile um, online predator uh, bureau that they created with a conjunction of the Colombian government, the U.S. government, and uh, funding from Tim's organization um, to catch online predators who were abusing children. And one woman told me there, you know, they they stay online 24-7 with, you know, computers and headsets, and they're trying to find these predators online, and it's an incredibly difficult job. And one of the women who worked there told me in Spanish about how she had seen, and I recorded the whole thing, um, but she found a, a, a woman online who was on Twitter taking live donations for her to hurt a baby, to injure a baby online for people who were watching this. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, that, those oh brave, uh, dedicated people who are doing stuff that would make most people sick to their stomach and they'd burn out, like, like you see in the beginning of the movie, that one character who's, like, quitting.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that was really striking to me and just, once again, galvanized me more and more. So whenever you see somebody underage, and there's so much underage, that you're basically watching child abuse online and you are, you are um, enabling it by watching it. You know, the more views, the more of that they're going to make. And whether it's monetized or not, you know, it's like any any website, the more traffic it has, the more they're going to keep making that and keep exploiting more and more children and hurting more and more children on camera to fill that demand. And how can we live with ourselves if we think that, oh, me me watching this, me, you know, having an experience by watching this is actually making them go out and hurt another child or hurt the same child again, mm. you know visit unspeakable trauma on these kids because I'm a voyeur to it. Like, how can we live with ourselves that way? You know, and and maybe, maybe we need help. Maybe these people who are currently engaged in this kind of lifestyle need to give it up to God and be like, I I need help. I need treatment. I am an addict. I'm powerless to help. I need a 12 step program. I need to do something. I need to, you know, pray. I need to find a a mentor because maybe they can't exit it alone. But if they do, it's going to be the best thing they ever did. You know, and so, men, stop buying sex. (laughs) Stop watching online sexual exploitation and sexual abuse materials, especially of minors. Um, You know, don't support Pornhub, which doesn't verify the ages or the, you know, the sort of free will of the participants. Um, You know, there have been many cases against Pornhub for having exploitation materials there that were not ever—there was no consent granted by the subjects who were on camera. And and try let's try and remake ourselves as as a society of truly modern and human men and women that lift each other up and don't don't inadvertently increase the suffering all around us.
0: I think that's a a really strong call to action for our listeners. And I hope that all of our listeners, you know, can take action after this interview because um, this this is a really tough topic. And thank you for all of your work and Whatever we can do to support that, let us know, because it's it's hard work and you're doing great things. And thank you for your work with the UN and all over the globe, just bringing exposure to this issue. Thank, thank you. you.